Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by AOL Radio at AOL.com slash podcasting. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 149 for June 19th, 2008, ISP Privacy. Security Now is brought to you by Astaro, makers of the Astaro Security Gateway, on the web at www.astaro.com. And by audible.com. For your free audiobook and a whole lot more, visit audiblepodcasts.com slash security now. And by listeners like you. Thanks for your donations. It's time for Security Now, time to talk about saving yourself, saving your computer, saving your personal identity. Mr. Steve Gibson is our savior. The, well, that's I, that's a little sacrilegious, but he's certainly the guy who's protecting us online. Hi, Steve. Hey, Leo. Great to be back with you. You're my savior, Steve. Yeah, well, I'm glad that we're doing the podcast. It's a lot of fun, and we're we're closing in on the end of our third year, which that's is neat. That'll be soon, I guess, if, since we've done one a week. Well, it will be actually because we're on. We're doing one forty nine this week, and so given fifty two weeks a year, which is pretty much standard, uh, <laughs> it'll be episode one fifty six. Will be the end of our third year. So oh, that's really great. Yeah, and we should say for those of uh, of you who've wanted to see Steve and his fortress of security, uh, we are now. Well, we we can see Steve on uh, Twit Live, and you can join us as we record the show. We do it every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific time. That's 2 p.m. Eastern, 1800 UTC. But I should warn you, don't. You, there's no clues. The entire background that Steve's got there is completely imaginary. It's on a he's he's, he's super been matted in on a green screen <laughs> because you can't deduce anything. It's not really his face. He's using that Logitech software to put another person's face on there. It's it's still anonymous. You were concerned. You were a little concerned about having cameras on in there. Yeah, I just I just decided. Well, I just hadn't figured out how I could stick the camera. Essentially, this camera is is sandwiched in between two LCDs. I've got a lower one and an upper one with the camera right here in the middle. Wow. And I actually chose one of the reasons I chose the Logitech was that it has a very thin profile, so it can sort of sneak out from in between the two screens. Wow! So how many so, screens do you sit and stare at? Five. I have five here. <laughs> I was thinking I ought to get a mirror. I, I, I'd love to uh, with, see it. Sometimes just bring out a hand mirror. We just love to see that setup. I think it was Dick who who did that. It's like, yeah, yeah. here's a mirror so you can all see. Yeah, I would love. I would really think that's very funny. I would love to see what that looks like. And that's just how you work day in, day out, huh? Yeah, it's just I've gotten spoiled. I, I used to have three SGI monitors, and then I, I sort of changed things around. I decided it was time to get more real estate. And after... You get used to it. I just, oh, yeah. I like, I have things, and it's funny because Mark Thompson and I were talking about the way we work with multiple monitors, and he's the same way. You know, I've always got Windows Explorer open on the right side of my rightmost screen, and I've got a couple browsers, Firefox and Opera, at the moment open on the on my left screen. My center is, of course, in working area, but so everything is in a place. I've got the the stopwatch right above the camera, so I can so I can see it, and so everything sort of. And so you just get used to this notion of, you know, not having things overlap. I, it makes me think also, remember Windows 1, where Gates was was arguing against overlapping windows. Right. And the first version of Windows, did I mean, it did not have over, overlapping windows. There was no provision for overlapping windows. You had dialog boxes, but all the windows were tiled. And you could sort of, you know, drag their edges around. And I don't know if that was to avoid copying xerox too directly or apple or or what the story was no but, in fact there was a big debate even at xerox and i think at apple too over whether windows should be tiled and it was a big academic debate between the two uh two different factions so uh, i think a lot of the early xerox stuff did not have overlapping windows that was a that wasn't technically difficult it's just and the idea being of course is like well wait a minute you know if there's information being shown then you see it right. why would you want to hide it behind something else right and the idea is, well, it's it's you know, it's the concept of these these things that we just now take for granted. Well, and the right side won, I must say. Yes, 
Because if it weren't yeah. for tiling, I mean, if if it were all tiled, huh. do they even well, have that command? They had that command for a long time in Windows. You could tile the windows. Uh, I don't even know if they still have that command. It's around for definitely for child windows. I know that you're able to like arrange those. So right. right. Hey, you know, today uh, we're recording on Tuesday is Firefox three download day, and yep. Firefox nutty Firefox thought, oh. We'll see if we could get a Guinness Book of World Records record for the most downloads in one day. So they got everybody to pledge to download Firefox. And as we speak, spreadfirefox.com, which is the locus for all of this download day 2008, is down. They couldn't play. I guess they couldn't buy enough bandwidth. To, I mean, they must have known. They were, they were saying, let's break a record. Yes, well, they slash dotted themselves. They slash dotted I have to themselves. say... That uh, I'm responsible for several features in Firefox 3. Um, they returned the checkbox to easily disable third-party yes. cookies. As a consequence of my work, um, uh, GRC is in the process of producing some new technology which will preemptively inform everyone who comes to our site if they have third-party cookies enabled. And essentially give them a little banner at the top of the screen to say, hey, just want to let you know that you're making it very easy to be tracked across the Internet. Click this in order to get instructions on how to change that. And the the Firefox 3 guys recognized that this would generate so much interest in how do I disable third-party cookies that they decided to put that checkbox back that they mysteriously took out in version 2 under the feeling that, well, it's not perfect protection, so you know, we shouldn't have it in at all. Well, I remember, do- I remember we, didn't you ask them? And they said, well, it doesn't work, so that's why we took it out. It, it never was working anyway. Um, I guess that's, you know, that's a way they could look at it. But, um, <laughs> but- remember, and, and remember, it was still there. You had to go to, you had to put right. in the address bar, site colon options, right. and then you'd get this list of, this overwhelming list of stuff and then you type in COO into the search bar, and it would give you a list of about eight items that you could configure. Then you had to change one of them to like a, a one or a two or, or something. Anyway, they fixed all that, and they had bugs in Firefox 3, had bugs in their, in their third-party, well, in their overall cookie handling that Firefox 2 still has. So it's, for example, not possible to block third-party cookies correctly under version 3. So Firefox 3 looks like it's going to be a a good thing for people to move to. Yeah. And uh, Flock, which is a Firefox derivative that I use, is also updated to uh, beta uh, 1 of uh, version 2, and it has the same uh, security features, many of the same security features, but does not have the third-party cookie feature, which makes me crazy. That's... Mm. I really, yeah. I think that's a very important thing. They've got that. We talked about that green address bar. That's, of course, an important part now. Of, uh, of yes, Firefox. I'm very glad the, the extended validation uh, certificate yeah. indication. Yeah. yeah. Well, what do you want to talk about today? What, what is on our What is on our agenda today? Well, I've got a bunch of random errata. Um, I the I'm not sure what we would call today. I'm. This has ended up expanding. I I did say last week that I wanted to talk about the the so-called form. P-H-O-R-M, WebWise technology. But I think we need to do this in two parts because I completely understand what the form WebWise technology is, and it is really horrible. Um, it's something which the, the three largest ISPs in the UK have announced they're going to support. Um, a number of US ISPs are at some stages of adoption, and it's... It's basically it's the next generation of of behavioral profiling is the way they're calling it behavioral tracking where these companies are installing equipment in 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 end user ISPs for the purpose of literally tracking what we do right um, and paying essentially paying ISPs for the privilege of buying on us. But I wanted to talk, I have a bunch of errata stuff, and, I, and it turns out that because Form is not the only company doing it, I wanted to sort of give us an overview of this whole, sort of explain the way things have been done before, how this is different, what many of these companies are talking about today, and then in two weeks, I want to ex- expressly go after 
a, a, the, a explanation of how the form system works because what they've done is extensive and amazingly intrusive. Yeah. Wow. All right, good. We're going to get to that in just a second. But, of course, as always, we'd like to check uh, first from uh, previous episodes of RADA, any uh, security news. Uh, but And also, uh, before we even do that, I want to mention our folks uh, at audible.com because we have a very special deal from audible.com. It's our Security Now deal. Uh, all you got to do is go to audiblepodcast.com slash security now. And you can get a, a free book, a credit towards a free book. Just sign up for Audible. If you're not already a member, now, if you're already a member, well, no, this deal's for new members. But uh, but believe me, we always have some great books to recommend from audible.com. Thousands of wonderful titles. Steve, I, uh, I uh, sent uh, a pod, uh, iPod along with 323 of uh, books, thanks to Audible, with our rower, Roz Savage. I talked to her this morning. And she's rowing so much. She's only been out three weeks. But she's rowing 15 hours a day, so she's listening nonstop to these books. She started rationing her books because she's afraid she's going to run out before she gets to Hawaii. Uh, she's gone through so many books, and she says, this is like, I don't know how, in fact, she blogged this. I don't know how I got through the trip across the Atlantic last year without the books. Um, she's reading right now something called The Memory of Running. She likes, uh, you know, and it's good I had a few of these in my uh, list uh, my audible list. Cause I just, I, I said, what do you want? And she said, I don't know. And I said, so I sent her a bunch of stuff, but, um, this one is an interesting story. It's, um, by Ron McClarty, who is actually one of, the, one of audible's best readers. And, uh, it's, it's an amazing novel that I don't think a lot of people knew about. Ron is an actor, uh, and, a, and a playwright and a very good audiobook reader, but he's also an, an amazing writer. It's about Simpson Idol who is 43 years old, weighs 279, his parents, 279 pounds. His parents die in an accident. He gets his old Raleigh bicycle in the garage and begins a cross-country journey to find his sister. And it's about his journey. And I could see why Roz might want to read this as she rows across the Pacific. She's loving it. So I, you know, I think I, I was glad to be reminded of it, and I want to recommend it as our book of the uh, week this week. The Memory of Running by Ron McClarty. Just a fantastic book, but there's so many books: fiction, nonfiction, novels, uh, historical, uh, politics, business, uh, self-help, romance, and of course, sci-fi and fantasy. It's all there. If you're not yet an Audible member, you might want to check it out. Go to audiblepodcast.com/slash/security now. Sign up today. By the way, they've totally revamped the sci-fi section, and they're now almost two thousand great sci-fi titles. There, including the Red Dwarf series. Uh, if you if you love Red Dwarf, you're going to love that. Audiblepodcast.com slash security now. We thank them so much for their support of the Security Now podcast. So any errata? Did we make any mistakes last week? Anything? Well, to- not errata, but two. I wanted to acknowledge the death, unfortunately, of two people. Um, of course, you know, I'm sure, that we lost Tim Russert yeah. on, on Friday. Uh, he was in the studios of NBC two in the afternoon, um, getting prepared for his weekly Meet the Press show. He had been vacationing with his wife and son in um, in Italy, and he flew back early because he needed to do the prep for the show. Uh, he was 58 years old, and uh, you know he saw his son graduate about a month ago, and uh, I've been watching Tim every Sunday for an hour for you know at least the last decade, and it's just you know really sad that... Um, but he died. He uh, it was a coronary coronary thrombosis. A chunk of plaque that was in his veins came loose and uh, uh, and took him out. And then just I guess it was late last night we lost um, a famous Hollywood visual effects artist. Uh, Stan Winston died. Um, Stan gave us uh, the dinosaurs from Jurassic Park. Uh, you know, he created Predators, Terminators, Aliens. Uh, he did the uh, the cool suits um, on Iron Man. And uh, he died uh, at age 52 of, uh, of cancer. He had multiple myeloma. Um, so he's no longer with us. And I remember seeing the credits of Iron Man scroll up the screen. And there was Stan's name, as it has been you know, so many times for, you know, movies that I love. So I just wanted to acknowledge and, and mention, if anyone didn't know, that we lost those two people that yeah, uh, yeah. are no longer with us. 
Yeah, very sad. And it's um, also. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say it's uh, you know a little scary for those of us like you and me in our fifties to to hear about Tim's uh, sudden demise. And uh, I know you're a great fitness buff. We don't have to. Anybody seeing you on camera knows we don't have to worry about you. You're in great <laughs> shape. But I'm going to have to start thinking about my diet and exercise plan too. <laughs> well, it takes it takes time. I you know I I give it uh, actually I was on my stair climber when I uh, got the news uh, last Friday about Tim uh, Tim Russert on MSNBC. I was preparing to watch uh, Chris Matthews on his hardball show as I do, and it's like, well, I, okay, I'm glad I'm working out while this is going on. So, um, I've also recommended. The uh, encryption program AxCrypt, A-X-C-R-Y-P-T, mm-hmm. uh, many times. So I wanted to advise our listeners, those of uh, those of our listeners who are using it, that there is an important update. As I understand it, it only affects Vista. Vista and AxCrypt don't get along due to Vista's address space layout randomization. Mm-hmm. We've talked about ASLR, which is one of the anti-hacking technologies that Vista incorporates where it randomizes the address space of applications to make it harder for for um, malware to jump directly into known locations in the OS. And something about versions of AxScript prior to version 1.6.4.4, which is now the current one, um, they might have had problems, apparently did in some cases, under Vista. That's been fixed. So there is an update to AxScript, A-X-C-R-Y-P-T, which is a very nice standalone file encryptor. If you don't want to encrypt your whole drive, you don't want to, uh, you know, like do heavy-duty encryption or have it present all the time, this allows you to perform state-of-the-art, you know, good, strong AES encryption um, very easily. Um, I wanted to come back to our mention last week of the Windows Bluetooth vulnerability, um, I didn't know we didn't no one knew anything about it at the time. I wanted to reaffirm that it's as serious as I was worried it might be. It turns out that anyone with who has not updated their Bluetooth stack, who is got Bluetooth activated and Bluetooth has left Bluetooth discoverable could be remotely hacked by somebody who sent a lot of service discovery protocol packets. There was a problem in the SDP protocol that allows the, essentially a remote code execution vulnerability. So, um, you know, anytime there's a situation where radio is involved, of course, security is a little more troublesome, and that's definitely the case here. So you want to make sure that you've got um, Windows Update applied from our, our second Tuesday of, of the week update which was last tuesday so that was part of the update so if you did apply that update you're okay on the stack and it's not yeah. on your phone it's it's on your windows machine that it needs to be updated well it would be anything that i don't know about the the um the portable edition of windows whether that was there so it may it may very well be that the stack in in in, in windows ce um you know that many people have in their pdas it could have been affected too um, but certainly laptop-based systems, we, we know that that was an issue. Okay. Um, another thing that uh, happened this week is that McAfee released a very interesting report. Uh, they did a first report about a year ago, and this is they, they called it Mapping the Malweb. And so this, this next report is revisiting that. And it, it contained a whole bunch of interesting statistics. Anyone who wants to see this report for themselves, if you go to www, in this case you do need the www.mcafee.com slash advice. Again, that's www.mcafee.com slash advice. I tried it without the www, and it's strange. It takes you to a McAfee page, but there's, it says, oh, we don't know about advice on, on this machine, so you got to do the www. When you do... Up near the top, they talk about this Mapping the Malweb uh, report, which uh, is a PDF, a 14-page PDF. But it had some interesting statistics that I thought our our listeners would find uh, interesting. Perhaps not surprising, of all of the top-level domains they tested, the Hong Kong domain, which is .hk, is the most risky top-level domain of the sites they tested, randomly looking at sites in the Hong Kong 
domain, 19.2% of these were infected with some kind of malware, meaning that, that there was some opportunity for anyone surfing to any, you know, a 19.2% chance that if you surfed to an arbitrary site in the .hk top-level domain, some sort of exploit was attempted against your web browser. Um, the China domain, .cn, is number two most malicious top-level domain with 11.8% of its sites trying to do some sort of exploit against your browser. Um, and, the, uh, and the most risky top-level domain is, that is just overall is .info, with 11.8 sites infected, which is up from 7.5 the prior year. However, overall, it turns out that, that overall very few sites worldwide are infected. Um, it turns out that it's 0.0717%, meaning that overall, if you went to 10,000 randomly chosen sites... Only seven sites out of 10,000 have any exploit code. So, you know, we've talked a lot about, about the danger of surfing with your web browser to, to, um, to sites which are trying to exploit your browser. So I, I like the idea of having from, from McAfee, you know, some hard numbers about, okay, well, you know, really on arbitrary chosen sites, you know, what's the likelihood? On the other hand, there are clearly areas of the net that are more dangerous than others, and sites like classes of sites which are more dangerous. For example, of, of all the sites which are download sites, and we've talked about the danger of, of, of acquiring malware or exploits against your machine in download sites, it turns out that 4.7% of sites offering downloads um, do have malicious content on them. So, so download sites tend to be more dangerous by a, by a well, tend to be, I mean, by a, by a huge margin over non-download sites, you know, uh, just, you know, other types of, of regular sites. So, well, I, I guess that's not much of a surprise, nor is it a surprise that Hong Kong and China are the, are the difficult places, but it's yep. good. It's good. Do you think that, I mean, um, these guys have a somewhat of an axe to grind, right? I mean, they're trying to prove that there's danger out there. I mean, I always get a little suspicious when I read about issues from people who make money on security software. Who, who profit from their big problems. Right. Right. Just just thought I'd throw that in. You have nothing to <laughs> nothing to say about that, huh? <laughs> you don't want to defend them, huh? No, but, but a lot of times I think sometimes anyway that they uh, they may – phrase this stuff in a scarier way just because uh well i mean that's this is ultimately the reason they do these studies is to get you to buy their services true although you know it's a large and big and varied market now and it's certainly no surprise to anyone that that the world's got malware um and and browser exploits and spyware and and all this kind of nonsense so the thing that always the thing that always amazes me is how much more widespread it is than one thinks Yes. Yes. There's just a lot of it. Okay. So behavioral targeting is, is the next thing that is really preparing to happen. And it, it, it's, it's troublesome because it's an, it's something we haven't seen before. It's a, a new approach and a new technology that has not been used before. And it's causing a, a huge amount of concern among privacy advocates and among end users. I mean, the, for for a number of reasons, some some surreptitious tests have been done by by ISPs, um, specifically uh, BT um, uh, in the UK, where in 2006 and 2007, without telling their their users. Equipment was installed by the ISP into their facility, which by a third party uh, and a, a third party of some questionable reputation, um, uh, specifically for the purpose of of intercepting the 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 web traffic of these users and doing things with it. So 
the the issue is it's this is a very different style of profiling than than what we've seen before. We're we've we've talked briefly about about the problem with third party cookies. That is the idea that you have and you have images, for example, on a website that are being served by third party servers. And by default, all browsers except one, Leo, I don't know if you're aware that Safari is the only browser that has third party cookies disabled by default. I think we discovered but, that. I think we uh, we were talking about that issue and I went through all the browsers on my desktop, and that was the one that was off by default, yeah. Which is yeah, the right, um, and you say that's the way it should be. Well, I believe it's the way it should be because, because it was never the intention of the, the guys at Netscape that created this cookie protocol, that, that basically added cookie technology, um, you know, stateful user um, management to to the web browsing technology. It was never their intention that that third-party sites should be able to do this. But the clever people in um, who wanted to, to advertising enable the web said, hey, wait a minute, you know, not only can we, can we be third-party servers of, of advertising on sites that people go to, but by, by, by having us, our, we as third parties, put a cookie on the user's machine, then we'll be able to see where they go over time. We'll be able to essentially, we as a third party, build a persistent relationship with this, well, with everyone who surfs sites to whom we're providing ads. And and their theory is that by looking at the sites that people go to, they can build up a profile of these people over time. And it ends up being more complex than that and actually of, of somewhat more concern because there are various ways that, that personal and personally identifiable data can leak out of a user's web browsing um, experience to essentially create more than an anonymous profile of these people on the web. And this is fundamentally enabled by third-party cookies. Mm-hmm. So, so, so it's one of the, the risk is that they could use third-party cookies to accumulate a profile on you by, by essentially following you around to sites that uh, this third party, whether it's um, you know, DoubleClick or some other ad agency, is, is, is uh, serving. Well, it's, it's more than a risk. It's, it is a... It's a feature of their business model. They brag about the fact oh, that wow. that they are building profiles. They, they they say, "Oh, you know, because of the technology we have, the fancy stuff we're doing, our ads are going to be more tightly targeted to users." The idea being, and they say, "Oh, and it's good for users because they're going to see ads more relevant to who they are." As if you know, for and they, I mean, you know, all of their claims are 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 legion in the industry. They'll say, for example, if we have figured out that you're newlyweds with babies because of the types of sites you visit, then we'll be able to to serve you ads that are more relevant to your lifestyle or where you are in in you know life. You, you and 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 again, so, so somebody who's in the in their geriatric years, they will have figured out, you know, that that's who they are. And so they'll serve ads from this big bin of ads, apparently, that they that they have that are that are unique to the specific users um, uh, of a generic website. So not, the, the point being that not everyone who goes to the site receives the kind of the, the same kind of ads. Well, I mean, even that has concerned people and you know there are many people who are security conscious and privacy conscious who have taken the time to disable third party cookie tracking that is the idea being that you need a first party cookie relationship with a site for example eBay or Yahoo or or even even um you know well certainly banking sites are more and more sites are requiring first party cookies Typically, anywhere you that you log on, there there is a cookie exchange with your browser, so that as you move through that site's pages, you're known by the site, and it's increasingly expected that that first party cookies will be present. But arguably, there is no defensible reason for for using third party cookies. Okay, so except to make money 
collecting information about what you do. That's exactly. a, very, a very good reason for DoubleClick and Google. And, and, and I want to say here, I want to make sure people understand that I'm not, I'm not saying that this stuff necessarily needs to be turned off. I'm concerned that all of these companies say, oh, well, you, you know, anyone who is uncomfortable with this can opt out of this technology. Right. The problem is, I mean, it was like it's the classic example of of adware um, purveyors who say, oh, no, you know, we always provide opt out provisions. It's like, well, if so, it's buried down in the fine print. And more often than not, when you tell people this is going on, they're upset, meaning they didn't know. And so, you know, I have no problem if people wanted to turn third party cookies on. I'm annoyed that they're on by default right. on all browsers but Safari, and it's necessary to turn them off. It's also okay. an irony because people who run uh, spyware programs that kill tracking cookies, um, when when you opt out, at least with DoubleClick, it sets a tracking cookie to say, don't collect these cookies. And if you use an ad block uh, program or an anti-spyware program, often it kills the opt-out cookie, and you're back on to the cookies. They're on again. Exactly. exactly. Okay, so... So what what Google has done with Google Ads is the is when a website says okay you know they they set up a relationship with Google and they say you know we want to we want relevant ads to our site what what Google does is Google's technology looks at the page where the ads are going to be served performs a keyword analysis figures out um what the page is about and then Google's success is that from their pool of advertisers, they use their own logic to populate the ads on the page so they're relevant. And I know that Mark Thompson has been messing around with this a little bit, um, curious to, to see, like, what level of relevance would Google's ads provide? And I think, you know, many people are seeing Google ads on an increasing number of web pages right, now, right. and Google does a pretty good, pretty good job. Now, the, the vendors of the behavioral tracking technology say, okay, problem with that is that there are sites that don't have pages where there's like um, available ads that are relevant to their content. Or you might have a, like a blogging site where there just isn't any clear topic for the page. There isn't anything that anyone, uh, that an advertiser could lock onto to say that's what this page is about. So what the behavioral tracking people are trying to do is instead of putting ads on a page based on the page's content, they're purporting to put ads on a page based on the the people, the the the, the behavioral profile that they've developed of the people who are going to be um, visiting the site. So there are a number of companies that are entering this game. This is just brand new. This is just beginning to happen. The, the company I talked about before, Form, P-H-O-R-M, there's a company called Nebuad, um, one called Front Porch, one called Adzilla. I and, love it because uh, we're running out of names, and frankly, all of these names are terrible. <laughs> Oh, Nebuad. Nebuad. Yes, what is it? Nebulous ads or, or something. Um, okay, but, but but and there's something called Adzilla and, and something called Project Rialto. Okay. So, so Nebuad, for example, they say to site publishers, I mean, and, and, and this bargain taken from their promotional material, they say Nebuad observes aggregated consumer activity across any site on the internet without collecting and using any personally identifiable information about the consumer. Nebuad combined this web-wide view of pages navigated, searches performed, so they're seeing what searches you do. They're watching. Essentially, they're in your clickstream. All, all of these companies... Every one of them is installing equipment in the ISP's facility. That's the important and, thing, is that the ISP knows everything you do. And well, if they're yeah. willing to give this information up, so do advertisers. 
Right. Well, okay, for example, Nebuad says to ISPs, to date, the role of service providers has been limited to enabling, but not participating in, (laughs) the online advertising revenue ecosystem. Whether you are a wireline or wireless ISP with national or regional coverage, Nebuad offers a risk-free way to achieve stronger revenue growth and improve your average revenue per subscriber. You know, we talked a little bit about this, I think, on a, on a Twitter episode because Charter Communications, a big cable company yes. and, and Internet service provider, had announced this as, a, and they, they spun it as, frankly, uh, a valuable thing to the consumers. If you read the FAQ at Charter's site, it says, no, no, you're going to get ads that are more targeted to your interests. Um, we're, you know, and, and it's not that they're replacing ads that are coming in, but they're, they're willing to sell information about you to third parties so that the ads can be more targeted. Exactly. Well, essentially the equipment is installed by these companies and, uh, at no cost to the ISP, except for it's in the ISP's facility. So they have to make rack space. And, and and space available. And maybe lose and then, some, the, the cost of their reputation, but that's another matter. Well, I mean, it, and yes, and that can be huge. Um, and there's been such a bunch of flack that's been raised by this, this the form system and the early technology two years ago that, that they were testing um, with BT. I mean, it was causing all kinds of problems. That early technology was inserting javascript into every page your web browser downloaded i don't like that so it was inserting their own code into the page for the purpose of uh, of of setting browser cookies on the client client side browser cookies sometimes because this stuff was so ineptly done people um doing forum posts (laughs) using browser-based forums would would get this code stuck into their forum. Oh, please. Oh, jeez. Oh, um, browsers were locking up. IE would lock up, and you have to use Task Manager to shut down IE because it, its use of the system would go to 100%, and IE stopped obeying its UI completely. All of this was brought to you at no charge by your ISP. <laughs> See, it's interesting because I probably blamed IE when that happened. I thought, oh, there it goes again. Well, it has. as far as I know, this hasn't come yet to the U.S. and hasn't been done to us, although the, 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 the forum guys are actively soliciting um, U.S. Um, ISPs. Adzilla, the, the Adzilla folks say to ISPs, Adzilla works hand-in-hand with the world's leading Internet service providers to help them monetize their traffic, anonymize their data, and offer a better browsing experience to their subscribers. Then they pose the rhetorical question, how does Adzilla work? ISPs install our innovative ZillaCaster device. (laughs) Great. Oh, goodness. Within their network environment, free of charge. This won't cost the ISP anything. In fact, no, it's going to make you money. Zillicaster then enables the analysis of terabytes of real-time anonymized data flowing over the ISP's network. Yeah, over the ISP's network, which is to say all of the traffic that all of the ISP's customers are transacting. They're analyzing these terabytes of data in real time and leverages this data to offer precision Add preferencing information to publishers and advertisers. It says, how does Adzilla help ISP monetize data traffic? When an advertiser pays for a targeted ad placement on Adzilla's advertising network, mm. Adzilla shares the revenue with ISP partners. Yeah, this is why using- they do it. They make It's a moneymaker. Exactly. Yeah. By by using Adzilla's technology, ISPs create new online advertising opportunities, provide publishers and ad networks with audiences that deliver optimal results and maintain optimal standards for consu- of consumer privacy. I love this spin. By the way, uh, a- I, I just checked. Uh, Charter is using Nebuad. Oh goodness! So, um, so, so they're the. I, I don't know if they're the first ISP in the U.S. Sounds like they are to do this, but boy, I think we should keep an eye on our internet service providers. This is terrible. 
Well, I'll tell you about Nebuad in a second. I have researched their technology. It's The good news is it's less bad than Forms, but it is also non-blockable, whereas Form oh, technology can be blocked. It's so bad, and that, that's what we're going to talk about in two weeks. And so, so just to finish up, to give people a sense for for the, the way, the, the, <laughs> yes, it says uh, 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 Adzilla says in, in their in their promotional material, why is Adzilla's targeting so precise? Adzilla's Zillacaster device, which sits within an ISP network environment, continuously analyzes the content of actual sites visited ads clicked on, and keywords searched for each anonymous entity at any given moment to provide precision ad preferencing information. Since Adzilla technology offers the most precise ad targeting in the industry, publishers that participate in Adzilla-affiliated ad networks can offer premium quality inventory to advertisers at the highest possible rates. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's what we've seen before in, in the adware business. Um, and and it's, it's that kind of, you know, well, it, it's, it's, it's unfortunately the, the, the technology that end users are not being informed of um, before it's brought to them. Now, Nebuad, which is using um, uh, a a substantially less invasive technology than, than form. Um, they are, they're basing their technology on, on hashing the IP and um, some other um, browser headers in order to determine whether the IP changes. Nebuad recognizes that over the long term, um, end user IPs change. So, so they're, they're attempting to detect when the the end user's IP has changed, um, what what they say they do first of all, so th- this is a this is a essentially a, a a filter technology. It's it's a a shim stuck in the ISP's facility that looks at the uh, essentially all the queries being made by the ISP's customers. Uh, oh, it's important to note that this is only non-encrypted communications. They have no ability to penetrate, thank goodness, HTTPS, you know, SSL connections. So it's only it's only non-encrypted pages that they're able to see, uh, and it's also only HTTP traffic to presumably to port eighty. So, but they are looking. They have access to everything that the ISP customer, the ISP's customer does. So every page that you pull up, when when you when your browser is displaying the page, they have read the page and performed keyword matching, looking for for important keywords that that they use to tell them what this page is about. So they know that it's you by your IP. They are they are reportedly not putting any cookies. Or, or anything else on your system, which makes them vastly cleaner than the form system we'll talk about in two weeks, wh- whose cookie planting is beyond extreme. Um, but so they're just tracking you based on IP, which makes them, them cleaner. Um, they say that if you are going to a health or, for example, a sex-related site, that they will not perform any um, filtering and tracking of that. What they do is they they then broadly um, categorize the page that you're looking at into so-called interest categories, and they have somewhere on the order of a thousand or more interest categories. And so they they reportedly associate your IP with which interest categories you're surfing to, and then if you go to a site which is part of the Nebuad network, as these companies all call this, meaning that, that a, a, a website is getting ads served by Nebuad, then they will, because, because your browser is, is, for example, at CNN.com, but it's pulling images from Nebuad's servers, they'll see the IP, which, which, is requesting the ad, 
check their system to see whether they know anything about you by your IP, and if so, serve an ad which you know falls within the the, the this broad interest category um, uh, delineation. So you know basically that's the that's the concept in a nutshell. The idea being that they're they're not using third party cookies in order to build. Um, a long-term profile. They of, don't need to. They've got even more information. Well, and <laughs> one concern is the household that uses a single IP and many machines. Right. Because they're not disambiguating based well, on browser. Can. Yeah. Exactly. Because because all the browsers in in in, in a in a in, uh, behind a NAT router are going to use the 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 same public IP. So so that there is. Unfortunately, some 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 potential for cross user leakage. Right. That is to say, you know, dad's using the computer doing whatever he's doing. But all you and would, then, all would happen is you would see uh, dad's ads. If I mean, Brian, I mean that's all it means. It's just going to get right. ads that are targeted at dad instead of you. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and the the other thing it's too not is the end that of the world with, with with all of this. No one has even proven that this concept works. That, you know, that they're actually, I mean, with all they're going through, I mean, all these companies are just in startup mode. They're like in the early right. beta uh, testing mode. In fact, over in Adzilla's site, most of their site is soliciting um, uh, their, their job postings for, you know, senior server engineers right. and people that are going to help them develop this Adzilla and their Zillacaster technology. But But even so... Again, nothing has shown that this actually generates higher click-through rates and, and, and higher quality results. It's a funny thing because, you know, advertisers have known for a long time that ads are less obtrusive, less annoying, uh, less resented by consumers if they're targeted. If, they, if the consumer is interested in buying a car, they actually enjoy new car ads. They, they look at them. So, you know... It's an invasion of privacy, but its its net result is to give you ads that are less offensive to you and advertisers like better because they're not wasting money on advertising to people who aren't buying a new car. But well, it's, it, it's the it, privacy implications that we're talking about. Yes. And, and again, Leo, I, I don't I don't have I mean, given a choice, if if and, and unfortunately, a large number of users apparently feel this way, given a choice to opt in to have that or not most users would say no right. i i would i would rather not have any kind of of profiles of any sort being made of my use of the internet in i mean and, and notice also that the isp is generating cash for themselves by essentially by allowing their users to be spied on right. by third parties. That's what bugs uh, me. Yes. And for, for for example, I would not have a problem if, for example, your ISP said, if you would like to, if, if you are willing to have your use of the, right. of the internet profiled, we will give you a discount right. on, on your monthly service. I like that. Yes. And, 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 and no doubt there would be a lot of people who say, sign me up. I, you know, it, I'm not concerned about, you know, being anonymously profiled. If the ads are more relevant to me, I want them. And I'd like to save $2.50 right. a month. Right. It's very but interesting. I'm glad you brought this up. I tried actually to bring it up on a Twit episode a couple of weeks ago, and people were kind of ho-hum about it. And I think it's because people didn't really understand what we were talking about. And more and more U.S. ISPs are looking at these technologies. Well, yes, um, and so I'm I'm glad it's getting attention. In in two weeks, we're we're going to do our Q and A episode next week. In two weeks, I want to take our listeners. This will be a propeller head episode, so I want to warn people in advance to to <laughs> to to get ready in two weeks to understand what this form technology is. It has evolved in two years. To, because what they tried to do two years ago, where they were injecting JavaScript into people's pages, it just it was a disaster. It backfired on them. I don't know if it's just that they didn't do it right or what the story was. These people, though, are not good people. Yeah. Um, they were. They used to be called 121 Media. They oh, renamed. I remember them. Yes, Leo. 
Yes, Leo. Did they do with is it cool web search? What was it that they did? Uh, they did something called People on Pages. Yeah. And they also did something called Apropos. Yeah. Apropos was one of the worst adware yeah. that used rootkit technology yeah. uh, it it installed itself into randomly named directories and then it installed a kernel level driver to hook the api windows wow. to to and a, it was a, it was a kernel rootkit that 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 was in there hiding inventorying people's machines and monitoring everything they that they did these are the people that bring us now this form system, and in two weeks, I'm going to talk about the technology that these guys have come up with. It's just unbelievably invasive. Uh, KJ's asking in the chat room if any mobile carriers are using this, because um, then they really, I mean, they'd have your phone number. They really would know everything about you, wouldn't they? I mean, uh... um, somewhere I saw, um, oh, it was, the, there's one of these companies called Front Porch, that, that that is is in advertising to ISP says monetize your network through advertising yeah. generate a new revenue stream through advertising advertises at I get that I love this advertise at all stages of the user session not just first login <sighs> choose from a variety of high value ad formats including ultra commercial whatever uh, that is it doesn't sound good it doesn't sound good. Um, <laughs> Target users based on location or user preferences. Advertise to the right user anywhere they surf the net. Mm. Um, oh, I mean, it's just it's just in your face stuff. And then and then it says among the popular uses: redirect subscribers' homepage requests to your portal. Redirect search requests to a partner. That's website. spyware. That's spyware. That's ad. Yes. Create a that. walled create a walled garden of allowed sites for specific subscribers. So you know they basically be, again the ISP can do this because they have total control right. Right. over over you know your outgoing requests and your incoming data. So what we're potentially seeing now is this evolution from ISPs to passive bandwidth providers to saying, wait a minute, we want. You know, here are these companies saying, oh, we're going to, don't worry, we're going to take care of everyone's privacy. Right. Everyone will be anonymous. If you'll just let us install our equipment in your facility and stick us in between you and your subscribers, we're going to pay you. So, I mean, I, I guess you, you're saying that, that they should be more like a utility. Just sit back, give us the bits, don't get in the way, don't get involved. Well, okay, yes. I, I Again, I'm... My opinion is that users should that users need to be informed that 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 if an ISP is going to be making money by monitoring what their customers do right. and by in any way providing that information to a third party um, as a source of revenue, whether it's whether the ISP justifies it saying that it's good for their end users because it provides more relevant ads. First of all, it should not be opt out. That never right, works. Right. It needs to be opt in. And if the ISP is concerned that not enough people will opt in, oh yeah, gee, um, I wonder why. Then they could they they could do some revenue sharing and right. say, look, um, we're both going to make money if you allow the places you go on the internet to be anonymously monitored and to have the pages you see change based on what this third party determines about you. Right. Um, you well, know, there's intrusive and there's intrusive. I mean, if, if it's like Google ads where, uh, you know, I guess this is what Charter's saying is what we'll do is we'll sell to this information to advertisers like maybe, maybe Google ads, Yahoo, uh, and so that they can be more tailored to you, even more so than they already are. That's one thing. If they're well, okay, changing but, my homepage or my how, search page. Yeah, that's not how Nebuad works. Nebuad is a is a is a wants to be an, an advertising network, much like DoubleClick. Right. So that advertisers will advertise with Nebuad and then Nebuad will will get placements on 
high-profile web pages that users go to. And the idea being that, there, that, that supposedly there will be a higher click-through rate with Nebuad's better targeting, that the, the targeting is better because they're literally based on the IP, in the case of Nebuad, based on the IP of your connection, they are they're building a profile of the ISP's user, and when they see that IP pull an, an ad from a different page, they choose which ad among their multiple ads they're going to um, uh, serve the page. Right. And I don't like that. And But again, the, the, I think your point is perfectly taken. If they're going to do it, fine. They just need to say the problem and, you know, let us know, make us. And it cannot be opt out. It has to be opt in. Ah, good point. Charter's doing an opt-out thing. In fact, Ed Markey, who was a member of Congress, said that's not enough. Yeah, he said exactly that. I want it to be, you choose to be a part of this. Um, the real problem is, of course, there's not much competition among internet service providers. It's not, you know, you, most markets have one, maybe two. Uh, and yep. so it's not, if they both do it, it's not like you have somewhere you can go. Yep. I think, you know, again, obviously the listeners to this podcast are going to be aware of this. Um, in two weeks, we'll be talking about the things that can be done proactively to Good. to block this kind of technology. Um, there is even there are some things that can be done in the Nebuad case. Um, uh, so you know, I, but but I'm not concerned about our listeners. Our listeners are already hit right. through all of this stuff. Right. I'm I'm pissed off that that this is something that that most people won't know about. And and again, it's just I remember back when I was fighting with Oriate that renamed themselves Radiate in the same way right. that 121 Media has renamed themselves Form because, you know, they ruined that name. So they're now changing to a different name. People were furious to find out that this stuff was on their machine. And the, the Oriate people said, oh, no, all of our partners, you know, our contract says they're going to, you know, make sure that users are advised. And I said, well... Apparently, users weren't advised. Otherwise, they wouldn't be pissed off like this. I mean, right? I right. mean, people go, yeah, I know about that. No, I mean, people were just going ballistic yeah. over the idea that this stuff was installed on their machine. I'm so really like, glad you brought this up. I think it's such an important topic, and it is a little complicated. Got, it is a little complicated. Believe me, though, this is nothing compared to what we're going to do in two weeks. You won't believe what the form people have done. Oh, boy. All right. Oh, yeah. So, uh... Let's. Uh, you know, I never, I never shared one of my spin right. I was going to um, ask you about that. Do you have a Do you have a spin right letter? Usually, you, you do I've that. Got a, right. Nor, 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 normally, I do it at the front. I just right. forgot. I, I, I hadn't written it down here in my notes. I had just had a really neat note that I got from a dad. Um, uh, the subject of his note was one happy college student, <laughs> and this is William Turner who said. I can't tell where to send this. Oh, I think he must have sent it um, to our to our sales um, address. So he says, "I hope this this forum is okay." Or maybe, or maybe he posted it. I can't really tell where it came. Oh no, it, it came through sales. And he says, "I wrote this about a month ago, and I'm finally getting around to mailing it." And he said, "Dear Steve, I'm a longtime listener to Security Now. I bought Spinrite about a year ago, and I've used it for maintenance purposes ever since. A few days ago, I got a call from my daughter." who was out of state attending college. She was crying like the little schoolgirl I remember. Aww. She then explained the blue screen of death um, that all those who use a computer fear. I told her not to worry. It could be fixed. Then the tears really began to flow. She said that a semester-long project was on the drive with no backup of any kind. Mm. Daddy... What can I do? Uh, I, uh, she says, I need you to come here now. Well, she's about two, 2,200 miles from home. Oh. So, that, so that was not an option. I told her about Spinrite. I quickly determined that I would FedEx my copy of Spinrite to her today. When our phone conversation ended, she was sure a failing grade was the only option in her future. This morning, however, I received a call from guess who? My little girl, who thinks I am the smartest dad ever. 
This, this, uh, this conversation was filled with jubilation and amazement. She says, it fixed my hard drive. My laptop is working, and I just backed up all my documents. Her worries of a few days ago were all but forgotten. Steve, thanks for helping me appear like the dad who knows it all. You saved my daughter many sleepless nights. Spinrite is a must for everyone who owns a computer. All parents should not send a son or daughter away to school without a copy of Spinrite. Thanks for your great product and all the hard work you do. Signed, William Turner. Isn't that great? He may be listening to this right now. So thank you, William, for sharing that story. That's that's great. Uh, really, that's the kind of thing you, you, you everybody should go to go go to school with a spin right disc. Absolutely, <laughs> we like that idea. So, uh, Steve, we're gonna this is next week is going to be Q and A uh, week. So we'll talk about uh, Nebu or no, is it Nebu ads or forms that you're going to talk? We're talking about form P H O R M in two weeks about what they the hoops that they jump through and what they do to users in the process wow. in order to achieve this this. Uh, this questionable, uh, you know, basically spying on and, and profiling uh, courtesy of users' ISPs. How do people uh, ask questions for next week's episode? Um, as always, go to grc.com slash feedback. Okay, that's simple. There's a form right there for you, grc.com slash feedback. While you're there, don't forget to check out uh, all the other great things GRC has to offer, Spin right. Uh, of course, but also Shields Up, which is free to check your router. There's lots of software, Wismo, all sorts of free security tools, utilities, and more at grc.com. And show notes for this show, uh, 16 kilobit versions for the bandwidth impaired, uh, and uh, Elaine's great transcription. So you can follow along, you can read along as you're uh, as you're doing this. That's grc.com. This show, as always, brought to you by the folks at Astaro. Now, see, here's an example. This is a targeted ad. Astaro knows security people listen to this show, people who want to secure their systems, IT professionals. So they said, this is the place for us. And you know what? For the last two years, it's been a great place for Astaro and for us because we we really think the world of Astaro. It is a very high-quality security device, the Astaro Security Gateway. That looks a little bit like a, a like a router, like the Hummer of routers. I mean, it's... It's solid steel and looks really good. But inside, you get the best of breed of open source and commercial security software. It does everything. Of course, it has a firewall. It has intrusion protection. It has stateful packet inspection and remote access via VPN. It has encryption, automatic encryption and decryption using open PGP or SMIME. It has three kinds of antivirus, two for the email that's coming in, one for the web surfing that's being done by your users. It's got um, uh, content filtering, so you can completely control what they do. Anti-spyware, of course, too. I mean, really everything in a box. Now, here's the thing. You could try it out yourself in your own enterprise for free by calling Astaro right now. Just call the number 877, the number 4, A-S-T-A-R-O. That's 877, the number 4, Astaro. 877-427-8276. It's toll-free. You could set up a trial in your workplace, show uh, the boss and all your clients and all your customers and, and your users, and they'll all go, wow, this is great. We feel safer already. Transparent. It grows with you. You can actually, uh, they have this great active-active clustering thing that allows you to uh, go up to 10 security gateways as you grow. And if you're a home user, you want to check out the free version of Astaro for home users. It includes Astaro up-to-date, all subscriptions and a base license for up to 10 IP addresses or 10 users. Great for the home user. You no longer have to pay that $79 euro subscription fee. So, I mean, it's just free. There's a couple of ways to do it. VMware has an appliance you can install, or you can download it from astaro.com security now. That's how committed they are to keeping you safe. A-S-T-A-R-O.com. We thank them for their longtime support of security now, and that's one ad I don't mind doing. <laughs> Leo, what? While you were talking, I was reading the, the chat log going by, and uh, there's been some question, actually some back and forth about whether Spinrite works on iPods. So I thought I would add an answer to that just directly and, and remind people, maybe these users don't remember, but there was one testimonial that I read where someone did use Spinrite. He took the drive out of his iPod and hooked it up to his to his right. um, 
PC. Right. And then when I fixed his, remember he had like a collection? It became a joke. Everyone was giving him their dead iPods. And he had, I don't know, like 20 or 30 of them lying around as doorstop (laughs) bookends and things. And so he fixed them all and then gave them all back to them with all their music intact. That's the amazing thing. That was an amazing story. Yeah. So uh, I guess we're out of time, but uh, we will be back next week with more of your questions and uh, more of Steve's answers. And then the following week, we'll continue this conversation talking about these, well, I guess programs or, or boxes that Internet service providers are using now to spy on you ostensibly to provide you with better ads, but really to make some money. Um, oh, I just can't wait to tell our listeners about the technology that the, that has been employed. It's just, it's mind-bogglingly bizarre um, and and frightening. Arguably, yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's a mess. It's terrible. By the way, Steve, while we've been talking, as I mentioned, we record this on Tuesday, which is the Download Firefox Day. And uh, even though Firefox's site has been really hammered, and uh, Sargon in our chat room is pointing out that it, it, it looks like the hammering is coming from a uh, from a application server that can't keep up because he can ping the site, but he but uh, the application server is just not serving the uh, the pages up. I guess they didn't expect this, even though they said they wanted to set a Guinness World Record for the number of downloads. Over $200,000, just as we've been talking, Steve, they're up to uh, three quarters of a million, and they're doing 11,000 downloads a minute now. So. Wow. It's pretty impressive. They're they're really well. Doing I've got to say, um, I, I've been doing for the last several months, Leo. I've been working intensely on, on, in the issue of cookie handling. Um, most of the major major browsers out there have have cookie handling bugs, um, which apparently have gone unknown for a long time. Um, IE does. Um, Firefox two does. Opera, I think Opera is among the best. And Firefox 3 has got it nailed now, too. Yeah, so very glad to hear that. Both Opera and Firefox 3, I'm, I'm very impressed with. So Everybody should download it. It's a great program. And I, everybody should listen to Security Now every single week. We'll see you on Thursdays. And go to GRC.com for your copy. And if you want to go back through all 148 previous episodes, they're all there. GRC.com slash Security Now. Thank you so much, Steve. We'll see you next week. Security Now.